going to welcome Kim Cleary. We just wanted to start with if you could by telling us a little bit about um, yourself. My husband is also here with me. So if you hear a guy's voice, <laughs> that is him. And his name is William. And he helps me sometimes articulate because I can have a hard time with my words and organizing it all when I speak. And welcome, William. We are so glad to have you here, too, because we would love to hear from you, too. So so tell you about myself. I'm an occupational therapist. I do private consulting with individuals who have autism, as well as parents and providers of clients with autism when they have really challenging situations. And I also do a lot of public speaking because I'm very, very passionate about speaking on autism because I've experienced a lot of a lot of trauma a lot of um I was told yeah I was told that my autism was moderate to severe and I needed to live in a nursing home and I knew that that wasn't correct and that I just needed an environment and the right supports in order to succeed but I want to share to a poem that I wrote that is kind of an introduction of of me. We would love to okay. hear it. Who am I? I am not a diagnosis. I am not a label. I am not autism or sensory processing disorder. I'm not a failure. I'm not worthless. I'm not stupid. I'm not a mistake, nor am I my mistakes. Who am I? I am brave, strong, creative, and innovative. I'm compassionate, kind, gentle, and caring. I'm honest and sincere. I am playful, genuine, and innocent. I'm a thinker. I love to solve problems. I think outside the box. I am perceptive and intuitive. I'm social, but in my own way. I'm full of energy, helpful, and accepting of all people. I'm Kim. I like to climb and build and create. I thirst to be outside, to smell the fresh air, to feel the dirt beneath my feet. I enjoy running, twirling, jumping, being in my body, with my body. One body, one mind. I yearn to help others. I have autism. I see things differently. The world moves very fast, and I'm often unable to keep up, but that is okay. I don't have to. I see details, and I can figure out things others often can't because I notice. I create my own solutions. I think in pictures. My words are visual representations. I can't always verbalize my thoughts. I can be slow to learn or mishear what is said. This is frustrating, but patience, persistence, and not giving up is key. I know beauty in everything, everyone, and every animal. I feel and see emotions in colors, shapes, and textures. I don't like loud or busy places because they make my ears bleed and my eyes burn. Certain noises, tones, and pitches are deafening, and I have to cover my ears or wear headphones. I walk and sometimes listen with my eyes closed so I can hear and see what is happening. I need deep pressure to calm down and I may hum loudly, fidget, or smell things to focus. I can act immature or childlike at times and I may do strange things, but that is okay because otherwise I would not be able to interact and be with the world, with you, and with me. I mean, that is so beautiful. And just the expression of how you can look at yourself like that and, and put it down in words. And I mean, I feel like I'm right there with you. <laughs> so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Kim. I mean, it 
absolutely tells all. And that is what we want is for all of our clients to see themselves like that. It's beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, because I'm not a diagnosis. I'm I'm who I am. I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm not autism, sensory processing disorder. I'm not receptive language disorder. I'm not, you know, I'm not any of those. I'm just me. You are just you and beautiful you at that. Ah, Thank you. Your perspective shows so much too of how you grew up. My next question is, can you tell us a little bit about your family support? It's obviously your husband's a really big part of that, but just how have they supported you throughout the years? You weren't diagnosed with autism until much later in your life, more as an adult. And can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? I'm going to share a little bit what I share in my talks to describe my my history. And okay, so I grew up at a time when autism wasn't well recognized and ADHD was even considered taboo. And thus, I didn't receive a lot of the help I needed, especially from the school system as far as addressing my learning challenges. I did have binocular vision, which means that eyes don't coordinate together, but that was treated. My parents didn't quite know what to do with me. <laughs> I I was a handful as a child mm-hmm. and they did help. My mom helped me a lot with learning. That's kind of where her supports really were, were there. They weren't as supportive with my social and emotional well-being, but my learning and taking the extra time that I needed to teach me, to help me learn because the school system wasn't, wasn't picking that up. My mom really advocated a lot for me as far as learning goes because the school system refused to test me for learning disorder and other challenges aside from ADHD because I behaved in school because I was on medication. Mm-hmm. Before medication, I didn't behave in school. <laughs> um, but my mom knew that there was something in addition to ADHD. And eventually, my junior year of high school, I got tested. Well, it was a full day battery test, but I think I had to do it four different days. It was really, really extensive. And we got that done so I can get accommodations on the SAT and also in college when I went. And that testing showed that my, can you help me for a minute? Um, Yes. So that was not, um, that was not your autism testing, right? That was just testing on your cognitive processing, right? Yeah, but I'm getting, but I have a point to it. Yeah. And what it showed was that. Um, so her full IQ couldn't be measured because of large discrepancies in the scores, um, which are not really large discrepancies are not uncommon in gifted or neurodivergent, um, peoples. And so her tested tests indicated severe challenges in like reading comprehension, executive functioning and visual attention. And it showed like a rate of 1% or something processing speed. For my reading rate, it was 1%. For my processing speed, 8%. And my capacity to learn was 13%. But yeah, I was a junior in high school and making, you know, A's and B's. And even those tests also showed that I was superior and very superior within 97 to 98 percentile for phonology 
identifying patterns in nonverbal information and problem solving. So it's really utilizing those strengths to make up for those challenges. And without the support of the school system, and that really took a toll on, on me as well as on my family because of how much stress it placed on, on us all. We didn't know. No, I, I had temper. Well, they weren't temper tantrums. I had uh, severe meltdowns up until I was 19 years old is when they kind of calmed down a little bit, but then it turned into an eating disorder. And I still have really severe meltdowns and it's without really understanding the reasons behind it, it can look like it's a behavioral issue. And I think that's where I'm trying to go is that there's so much that you don't see because it's not on the surface. Yes. Yeah. That's what we're trying to really bring out too. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Kim. So when did you get your diagnosis for autism then? Yes. So I got my diagnosis when I was, I think, in my mid-20s. Okay. Yeah. Even today, kids going through like a battery of testing doesn't necessarily mean that we're showing the capabilities a person has. You're testing towards that, but that doesn't mean that's who you are. And I can totally see how much that would have taken a toll even on your mental health, knowing at that point, hey, these tests show I'm this person, but I've lived my life as this amazing person. So where's the balance? Plus also, like, I knew that I worked so hard to behave, that I worked so hard to, to be able to learn and to try to comply to people. And that was at a severe cost to myself. And the test actually helped to validate my experiences because it it showed that I do have these challenges that are going on and it's not because I'm defiant it's not because I'm trying to be oppositional it's because maybe I didn't hear you maybe my attention there's so much that it could be and Mm -hmm. without having those explanations a lot of people in my life were we're putting it on more character flaws. I had so many misdiagnoses. Oh my goodness. Um, I was diagnosed with conduct disorder as a child, in addition to ADHD. And then as an adult, before my autism diagnosis, was diagnosed with um, bipolar, schizoid personality disorder, OCD. And none of those are accurate. Wow. No, my gosh, I can only imagine how frustrating that must have been for you and how much you've gone through mm-hmm. in your life. When that first testing happened, did you, did they give you supports after that? I mean, you said it validated you a little bit, but did you? On the way home from the review of the testing, I, I remember this really vividly. I turned to my mom who was driving and, and said, mom, this is the first time Anybody has ever talked to me in a way that I could understand and that I feel they really understood me. And that's that social validation is huge. I mean, even just having your thoughts and your feelings validated is is life changing, actually. Yeah. And that was for like my that was a lot for my learning challenges. When I go into 
my my autism testing and and that whole battery of tests as well that also I had a similar experience where afterwards I was like I'm not defective I'm not you know I just I process language differently I process social situation I I process differently and that's okay and I was able to start embracing who I who I am so great well, I mean, while we're on the subject of kind of support, we would love to kind of hear about your relationship with your husband, William, and just kind of like how you guys met. And We met in 15. July of 2015. July 24th in 2015. <laughs> Our first date was August 1st of 2015, but we met in July 24th. Yeah. And we met at a, at a church function. So I was trying to get involved in church. And which is really hard because when there's too much uh, sensory and too much um, information going on around me, it's hard for me to, you know, verbalize and I can become completely mute. So what usually happened in social situations is I would just be a statue and that would tear me up inside. But I didn't want to do that with this church group and I I contacted the head of the church group and they set me up with this girl named Diana who served as kind of a peer mentor type person and she came to my house and got to know me and I shared with her about autism and and about what it looks like when I'm over overloaded and how to help me and that day she said you know what we have a group tonight we are having game night do you want to come and this was very last minute and I don't do things last minute but for some reason I said okay and she drove me there and we got there I was so mad because all they were doing was eating pizza and chips and talking they weren't playing games and it was supposed to be a game night I was (laughs) so confused and upset but after 45 minutes, they started playing a game and I I sat on the floor because I normally like sitting on the floor and William came and sat down next to me and started talking and I just looked at him and nodded. I couldn't speak. I was already at that mute point. Diana saw I was having a hard time and asked if I needed to go and I shook my head yes and we left. And then William Facebook friended me and we got to know each other through writing because I articulate really good through writing but his story is much different and is funny <laughs> oh my I know I want to hear the oh, I'm excited to hear <laughs> go ahead <laughs> and you guys are so adorable by the way uh, so the the girl who was doing game night she was really wanting me there because she kind of had she had her eyes on me she had plans on me <laughs> I wasn't wanting to go at the time. I was working in a warehouse in Florida, moving like 120 pound box without air like, conditioning. Oh, I'm yuck. a sweaty, oh. nasty mess by the end of my shift. Yeah, and she's going, "You gotta go. You gotta go. If you don't go, nobody else will go." And so I'm telling her, "No, I'm going to be, you know, sweaty and nasty." And she said, "Well, I'll tell you what. Bring a change of clothes with you to work. Right after work, you can come to my house. You can shower." change your clothes. No one will ever know. So I get over there early and I get into the shower 
And I forget, it was like there was no soap or something. You know? <laughs> so there I am, sopping wet. I wrap a towel around myself and I stepped out into the hall to say, hey, you know, Sarah, where's the soap? And uh, when I stepped out into the hall, Kim and Diana. Diana, this other girl, had gotten there a few minutes early so Kim could get acclimated first. And there they are standing there. And I'm in a towel and I said, this is not what it looks like. Which, uh, <laughs> Kim, because she doesn't do social cues very well, she had no clue what it looked like, but I'm certain <laughs> that Diana went back and told everybody, guess who I saw coming out of Sarah's shower? <laughs> and i so he he told that story one time during one of our talks and actually my mom was at that talk and and that was the first time he has ever he'd ever said his version and people were just cracking up laughing and i had no idea what they were laughing at and somebody had explained it to me (laughs) (laughs) my poor mom so cute but you, you asked about um, the support. So William, the I, I don't even know how to how to share like what all he he has done for me that he has helped me with. And I had a poem that I wanted to read. I know I have it in here. Uh, you helped me with a lot too. Oh, how did I help you? <laughs> how has she helped you? Um. So. Kim is, first of all, Kim is a problem solver. Um, and so when there is a problem in, in the relationship, you know, hey, every relationship has its challenges. When there's a problem in the relationship, Kim is by and large, I mean, 99 times out of 100, Kim is the problem solver. She's the one who sits down and thinks through the situation and goes, okay, here's what we're going to do to solve this. Um, because that's not me. You know, um, I, I, I'm the type of person that like when there's a problem, I want to has emotions. I want to disconnect. I want to be left alone. Don't talk to me. You know, I just want to go and, and be my myself and kind of get over this in quiet and in private. Um, and but that's not Kim. Kim will Kim will think through a situation and come up with a solution where we can kind of meet in the middle and, and we both give a little to get a little. And actually, research has shown that autistic people. Um, are much better at at problem solving and finding unique s- solutions because they have usually an unbiased view and they think more, they see more of the details and the rationale first. Absolutely. Did you feel like you kind of have an ability to, and I don't mean to say emotionally disconnect because you, you don't, but not to necessarily have the emotion play such a big part in solving that problem and then well, for me, I I just I experience situations differently because I think differently. So, what elicits an emotional reaction in in other people might not elicit an emotional reaction to me because I'm just taking in different information and seeing it in a different way. And I do have really strong emotions with with some things, but a lot of times when it's conflict oriented, it's more if I know, I know the other person didn't try to hurt me on purpose. Or I know when I know the reason behind something, I don't have that emotional reaction. And I just try to 
figure out all the variables around it, which can be really infuriating, especially for the other person. When when I was a child, that would really irritate my siblings and even my parents because they would get emotional at stuff. And I would <laughs> just, because I, I saw it differently. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, as William just said, that really works out well when you're, as far as the problem solving part of it, making Definitely. it work. Um, I found my poem coming into my world, looking out, but no longer able to go in. You came and sat next to me. I used to be a prisoner of the outside, but was also held captive within. I was trapped until you sat next to me. Beautiful world that I see. Thank you for coming in to be with me. You asked before you took my hand. You crawled with me. Then you helped me to stand. We stood up together, I fell back down, but then you kneeled beside me on the ground. I covered my ears, closed my eyes, but you still stayed there by my side. You told me to do what I needed to and that you would always be there to help see me through. And what William did for me was something that nobody else had been able to do. And in part of my history, I struggle with a severe eating disorder and I was in and out of psychiatric hospitals for about a decade. And I was even told actually in 2015, the year we Mm. met, I was told that I needed hospice and because my eating disorder was so severe. And a lot of that was because I wasn't getting the, the right supports to thrive. And I knew that I knew what I needed with my sensory supports and and communication supports and such but the healthcare system wasn't really seeing that and I just said that's not what I need I don't need hospice and I was able to find a facility who well they had me before they kind of knew me (laughs) but um I really fought to be heard in that facility and they they heard me and Then when I discharged, that's when I met William. But before that point, I consistently was trying to hide not just my challenges, but what I needed to do in order to to thrive with my thinking and processing differences. And William let me know that it was okay. It was okay, you know, if I have a meltdown. And so I had a meltdown had three meltdowns in the past two weeks or four. And one of them, I, he laid on top of me and gave me pressure and I was trying to kick and I was, you know, I probably looked like a two-year-old, but William doesn't, he doesn't shame me for those. He doesn't, he understands that that's out of my control. And I didn't have that before. And Knowing that, you know, it's okay that I'm, I need to shut down or melt down. That's okay. That doesn't mean I'm defective and that doesn't mean I'm bad or wrong. It just means that there's something going on that I need to figure out so I can cope with. Yeah. And it's just that understanding of, I don't need now another therapy or something thrown at me. It's more just, I need that space to figure it out. And and William, you sound so amazing. Just you know, understanding that part. And there's, there's not a lot of people like you. You're amazing. Yeah. And, and he, he realizes that, you know, 
for Kim to be here and to be with me, she needs to know things in advance. Mm -hmm. She needs to have her sensory strategies and needs sensory breaks. She has to have headphones if she's in a noisy environment. And he's proactive in, in helping me to make sure that I'm able to be the best that I can be. And I mean, throughout the day, he helps me tremendously, a tremendous amount, because that's what I need. But everybody needs help. It's just for somebody with autism, that help might look a little bit different. And you need, I, I love, he's your support. He, that interconnectedness, it's beautiful to see that. And I feel like sometimes in therapy or professionals or the school systems are just trying to make individuals so independent, but yet that doesn't, that doesn't always work. We all need people. We all need support. We do. And we all have different strengths and we all have, all have different challenges. And when the person with autism is given the right supports and the right help, then they're able to utilize, really utilize those strengths and what they're able to give to the world and it might not be, you know, the typical thing that people that people give to the world. It might not be, you know, working a typical job, raising a, a family, all that stuff. It might be something like, you know, could be something like giving you a different perspective on something, bringing joy, bringing could be solving solving problems. I don't know what you say. <laughs> you want me to say something? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I agree with what you were saying. And I, and I was just that that made me think that, um, you know, a lot of people would kind of look at you and go, well, you know, she's got her master's degree. How come she's not working at a, you know, whatever normal, typical job? But the reality is, you know, that Kim, in her own way, she's uh, mentoring these young people with autism one-on-one -on -one basis and then she's an international speaker and so she's going around and she's touching you know she's touching millions of, of lives and helping to educate people on autism and so yeah the way that an autistic person contributes to society may look very very different than what we are used to or what we expect completely agree i feel like even just like your poetry just slowing us down and giving permission that we don't all we aren't all the same and you know we need to be accepting of that with with all people and we all really need that space and time we just don't right. give it to we just look at it as not okay so you are teaching every day i think all of the autistic individuals that i work with i learn from them every day so thank you for what you're sharing because i've learned so much from you myself webinars and things that i've listened to so you're a blessing thank you no absolutely and i think you know we can kind of use this kind of as a segue because we've we've been trying to talk about the word social and we were trying to get away from you know we talk a lot about neurodivergent people connecting and it connecting doesn't have to be a social verbal aspect of it. And we notice that, you know, sometimes socializing can look very different to many people. And like Debbie said, we've been kind of following you and, and just learning from you. And we're excited to kind of read your blog, Socializing with Autism and Zumba. 
And we absolutely just love if you could share your thoughts about socializing with us. Yeah, first, I love Zumba. It's my favorite activity because I'm able to just be myself and be really free. It's I feel really accepted, even though I'm all over the place <laughs> and running into people. Um, here's something I wrote one day after after a Zumba class. Zumba is one of is one place where I feel as if I can be completely myself. I can let go of all expectations. I can move to my own beat freely and unrestricted. I can twirl and jump and stomp. My energy intermingling with those around me. I dance with everyone. No words are said. No eye contact is given. Speaking freely through our movements and through our spirits. We are jumping and flapping our arms. We are doing it together. In those moments, I feel as if they come to visit me in my world. I feel accepted and included. But I'm sad when the music stops and they leave. And I'm once again alone in their world. And so before and after, you know, exercise, Zumba class, people usually talk and chat with each other. And I want to be friendly and join in and get to know people, but I can't. That's really hard for me. But when the music is going and we are all dancing, I am talking with them. And they're talking with me and we're getting to know each other. We're doing it through our movements. And I feel really happy at those times to just be a part of the group. I, it resonates so deeply with what we're what we're trying to change as well. I mean, it seems like it's been so long that that these social skills programs are just asking people to mask. And I and I mean, what are your thoughts on those programs? Just my first thoughts are they're dumb, but it, it really. I, I have to. I can't. I can't be. I can't say that with all certainty, because there might be some people who have programs that are social programs, but they're not what I'm thinking of. But a lot of times the ones that they teach autistic people aren't, they're just stupid because it, like you said, it teaches them how to mask, but they're not really looking at the difficulties behind why there might be a challenge with social skills or socializing. And it's also not looking at if there even is a challenge yeah. or if it's a difference, I and, guess. Yeah. So for, for me, one way of socializing is saying hi. Oh no. <laughs> one way of socializing is so William and I went walking around the town one evening and we, I saw this guy who had the sequence um, sequin really wild colored shirt on yeah and i really wanted to touch it and but william <laughs> said no but he we went over to him and william you know said hi and asked him where he got it from and i didn't really say anything uh, but that's socializing to me i felt so good afterwards because i was it just i was engaging yeah. or going to the grocery store and saying hi to the cashier when it's not just a robotic hi mm. that is socializing to me or just being in a space and doing an activity not necessarily talking can be socializing but what's hard is when i want to socialize but i am not able to because of too much going on in in my environment it might be too much sensory 
or it might be just that the conversation, like could be a lot of people talking and the conversation jumps too much and I'm not able to make sense of it or I don't really understand what's going on because I'm very good at pretending that I know what's going on, but a lot of times I don't because it goes too fast or I might not know what the background is. Is that the right word? Sure, yeah. And teaching me that stuff in a social skills class is actually kind of rigid if you think about how autistic people think. Well, and I think one of the main problems is having a very rigidly defined idea of what it means to be social. For us, some of the best times we have are, you know, going zip lining or rock climbing or doing some sort of ropes course or, you know, going and hiking, you know, and to most people, when you say social, they don't think of going out and doing a really physical activity where you may not be talking so much. You're just doing things together, um, you know, paddle boarding. Um, they think of going to a restaurant and sitting down at the table and, you know, having a meal and eating. Thinking of unstructured time. Oh, that was good. That just reminded me of that. Um, a lot of times unstructured environments are really incredibly hard because I don't know what to do. I don't know. I need to know. I need to have a job. I need to know what to expect. And in unstructured social environments, if I don't, I don't have that. Mm -hmm. And because I think so detailed, because I notice so much, it can be really challenging to, to be a part of, of that because I'm, I'm too overloaded. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes so much sense. I was gonna say, like having what helps is having a a plan or or not a plan, having a job to do. It might even be something. It can be like a specific physical job. Like during this gathering, my job is to ask everybody if they want something to drink. Okay, and that would help me to engage and give me, you know, a purpose. Yeah, yeah. It's about having a purpose. It makes so much sense.